And hello, uh, welcome to V Brown Bag US, the March 9th edition. Uh, tonight, uh, we are going to be talking about the CCNA DC Section 2 configure, verify, and troubleshoot a switch and internet communications using Nexus. Whew, that's a mouthful. Um, this evening, our presenter is going to be Brian Trainer. Uh, you can find him on the Twitters at BE Trainer. Um, some shop notes. If I can get this thing to slide over. Come on now. There we go. A couple of quick notes. Obviously, you can get in on the conversation on Twitter. Um, we are at vbrownbag, and the Twitter hashtag is hashtag vbrownbag. Um, we have, you know, tonight's is, is the uh, U.S. version. Um, our guest, again, is Brian Trainer. His website is Mount Virtual. And this evening, I will be your host, Chris Williams. And so allow me to kick it over to Mr. Trainer, and we will get this thing going. Okay. You have control, good sir. Okay, yep. All right, and I can see your screen. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, it's good to be here. This is uh, this is round two for me. Uh, you were here last week, then you got to hear me talk a lot about the kind of the basics and a lot of the foundational frameworky stuff of uh, internet working. Uh, so tonight we are going to be looking at uh, so objective two session or section two of the uh, the blueprint, which is uh, primarily layer two. Uh, so um, just real quick, a little bit about me. If uh, um, I'm primarily uh, VMware focused in, in what I do, uh, my my day job. Um, I I think I'm I'm probably along for the same ride as a lot of other people. As far as uh, you know, using this, uh, using the V Brown bag really is an opportunity to uh, to better my my um, uh, my own studies of the, the CCNA data center track. So uh, anyway, um, so I'm uh, I'm learning this stuff as I'm as I'm going along too. So uh, so as we go through this tonight, just uh, just know that uh, you know there might be some things that I don't know, but uh, Anyway, we, we should uh, certainly have fun going through this. So, um, so let's go ahead and dive in. So with the first exam objective here is just talking about the technology and media access control method for Ethernet. So Ethernet. Uh, <coughs> so Ethernet. <laughs> okay, so Ethernet is uh, really refers to the, the family of of uh, network products and protocols that that's covered by the IEEE, and um, one of the things I think it's really neat. If I, I just want to pull up a, a chart here of just all the IEEE 802 standards. Okay, so they've got all kinds of different classifications, and um, you know some of these we, we immediately recognize, like 802.11 are the, the wireless uh, LAN specifications. Um, you know some of the uh, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about 802.3 tonight, which is the Ethernet standards. Um, but uh, and actually, we'll, we'll probably hit on uh, some of the 802.1. Uh, you'll see as, as we go through some of this, uh, some of like the, the bridging protocols and, and things of that nature. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's just kind of a neat, uh, a neat chart here. If, if you know, you ever wondered how much of the the, the different network and uh, devices that 802 makes standards for, uh, you know, that, that's a, a neat little uh, chart there. So we are going to dip into layer one just momentarily. Uh, so these are a lot of the different specifications that uh, IEEE has, has set for the, uh, the different types of cabling, the, the, the physical media. And so you know, we, we've got you know, our, our speeds. Some of this is, is historical, right? The thin net and stick net. Uh, you know, we, we never hear those terms anymore. Um, this is going to date myself, but I do remember using thin net back in my, my first IT job. Okay, we, we were you know stringing up a whole bunch of classroom computers and using a you know a bus topology, uh, you know just uh, connecting a whole bunch of computers to a, a thin net line, um, and uh, so thankfully those days are over. We've we've moved on from that much faster speeds, um, and uh, now th this list certainly is not exhaustive. That there's there's many other cable specifications that I didn't put on here. 
Uh, you've got like the 10G base SR and LR for uh, some of the different fiber uh, specifications. Um, but uh, but I, I've noticed that uh, just kind of a tip here. Uh, some of this might just seem like you know why, why do we really need to know the uh, you know the formal IEEE standard name 802.3an? Why do I need to know that? Well, you know I, I'm not really sure why you would need to know that particular uh, terminology, but you probably will be tested on it. Uh, I do. I think I remember some of those questions coming up on my my route switch exam. So. Anyway, so just just a uh, just a little tip there. It's good to know this kind of stuff. Um, so if we move on, so CSMA CD. This is a an important uh, feature with an Ethernet. Okay. Um, now it's we we see this with um, uh, collision domains most certainly. Now uh, we talked last week about hubs that uh, when again we don't use hubs any longer. But what hubs did were were uh, basically, they were allowing multiple connections into a single, um, what we call collision domain, which means that uh, multiple machines could be talking. Um, unfortunately, though, if they were talking at the same time, then then collisions would occur. There was there's no way of of um, really separating that traffic because again, it's a, it's a collision domain. These uh, everything that it goes through there is just basically getting blasted out to everybody else that, that's on that um, that network segment. So a collision domain basically, in essence, is a a, 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 a section of the network in which uh, uh, multiple machines really need to be prevented from talking at the same time, because if they do talk at the same time, then collisions occur on that and and uh, you know, uh, Data is is corrupted and um, and and so you know bad things happen. So what we need to do is create a a means of preventing those collisions. Okay. So um, and Chris, are you are you controlling my screen? I am not. Okay. All right. I just saw the mouse moving across, and I think that I accidentally uh, clicked on the share screen. So I'm not sure if uh, somebody else grabbed. Anyway. Oh, let, let me uh, fix that for you. Okay. So uh, talking about CSMA CD, what this does is it, it basically prevents two devices from talking at the same time on this network segment, okay? And the way that that works is uh, it's, it's a CSMA CD. It's, it's obviously a, a uh, uh, an abbreviation. It stands for Carrier Sense Multiple Access Collision Detect. Okay, that's that, uh, to uh, to take in there, uh, the carrier sense is basically it just means that each station or each node on the network there is continuously listening for traffic uh, on the wire to determine um, you know, when there are gaps uh, between um, you know between uh, data transmissions. Uh, so they're, they're they're basically waiting for the the wire to be quiet so that they can then talk. Okay, so they're they're listening. Uh, the multiple access, uh, you've got more than one device connected to the network. This also means that uh, that these any any of these um, these network devices on that segment um, that they can they can transmit at any time. Um, any one of them can transmit at any time. Now, because of that, then as I said, there's there's a possibility of collision. So there needs to be a way to detect if a collision has occurred. Okay, so. Uh, Certainly, they're waiting their turn, waiting for the line to be quiet. But if two devices on that network do talk at the same time, then a collision occurs. Once that collision occurs, they, uh, the the two sending um, devices are you know they they know that a collision has occurred, and um, so they then send a jamming signal to all other devices on that network that a collision has occurred, and basically tells everybody to stop transmitting. And then each one of those devices then will independently determine a, a random back-off time. Basically, it's uh, you know it's, it's this algorithm algorithm that, that runs, and and so they'll they'll each come up with a hopefully a different back-off time before they can start retransmitting again. Um, so the whole point there is uh, is to uh, just keep them talking at the same time so that collisions don't occur. Okay, so. This uh, this is very important in, in collision domains, um, 
it's also very important in half duplex links. Okay, so duplex settings. Okay, this is another uh, um, another topic within the whole uh, Ethernet specifications. Um, so there's half duplex and full duplex. Half duplex is when um, on that network link that you can basically only have one. Uh, you can only send or receive at any given time. Okay, so uh, so even if you do have just one uh, machine connected to say a switch, but well, that uh, that that uh, that machine there can only send or receive at any given time. Let's say it's uh, connected to another device. Each one of those can only send or receive at any given time. Okay, but they need to be able to have some mechanism for knowing if the other machine is, is talking or not, because only again only one can send or receive. So they use CSMACD to be able to determine if okay is the other one is the other one not talking? Okay, now I can talk. And so that way, uh, that way transmission can still happen in one direction at a time. Now, full duplex, on the other hand, is means that you can send and receive at the same time. Okay, that uses uh, double the amount of wires or, or wire pairs. Okay, that's one thing I didn't mention in the duplex is that uh, half duplex, uh, um, the cabling that's used in the half duplex uh, network link, is essentially it's just using one pair of wires in that. In that cable, full duplex. Oops, somebody's moving my, my mouse. Oh, again. that that is me. Sorry. You, yeah, you you click. Okay. I'll, I'll, yep, no problem. There you go. Yep. Actually, uh, actually yeah. um, there we go. Presenter can always take control. Yeah, I, I can't fix it. I can't I can't unscrew that. That's okay. Actually, uh, Graham um, Graham has a question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question is: Is there a jam signal? I thought that they just checked that the receive. I just I thought that they just checked that the received what they sent. <laughs> and if they didn't, uh, and if they didn't, they did the random back off. Uh, so from what I've read, there, yes, they they do send a jamming signal. Basically, it's to inform all of the devices on the network that collisions occurred. Okay, so it's, it's basically telling everybody, hey, don't don't send anything yet. Um, and then they they go through their random back off time. Hmm, okay. Okay. So. Um, yeah, pretty consistent from what I've read. If if uh, if if that's incorrect, if somebody wants to correct me, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm no expert on this, so. Um, but uh, but but that that was my understanding. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to uh, mouse so, over the screen. Sorry. Oh, you know that's right. We were gonna we were gonna check that. Um, do you want me to? If, if, you, if, if, if you if you want to give it back to me and then and then I hand it back to yeah. you, that might fix it. Okay. Okay, so I'll make presenter, and yeah. now okay. I will make you the presenter again. And yep. Check that, and there. Okay. Uh, share your screen. All right. Yep. Hopefully, I've I've been disallowed all rights. Yes, I believe we're good. Awesome. Okay, fantastic. All right. I blame myself. Uh, well, no, I, I think I uh, did, uh, get control. But anyhow, blame the host. Come on now. There you go. All right. So, uh, so the cool thing about uh, duplex again, we can send and receive at the same time. Uh, now, it does require a point-to-point -point connection. Can I use full duplex on a uh, a link that has a hub? Okay. Uh, and again, um, full duplex doesn't use the CSMA CD. If we're connecting to a hub, we need to have some method of knowing if, if uh, or some method of preventing a, a collision. Um, now, the uh, the other interesting point about full duplex is that that uh, so because we can send and receive at the same time, we can we can we can run at 100% efficiency in both directions, meaning that that we can um, you know use the full bandwidth in each direction. So if we're using a gigabit link. Full duplex. That means we have we can be sending one gigabit uh, in one direction and receiving one gigabit at the same time. I know that's crazy, but but that means that really that we have ultimately two gig of aggregate uh, bandwidth there. Now, that's that's in theory, right? I mean, that's that's just it, you're supposed to be able to get that. Um, so take it for what it's worth. But but the whole concept there is that yes, that you should you you should be able to use uh, you know full 
efficiency in, in uh, both directions at the same time. Uh, and and of course, you know, most of most of our networking these days is is using full duplex. Um, you know, switches are going to auto negotiate anyway. Um, all of our, you know, everything up from from 100 megabit and higher uh, automatically uses a uh, full duplex. Um, and then, you know, certainly the uh, the, the cable that we use uh, it provides the pathways for that. So uh, on to the next obje objective. Uh, so let's talk about the Cisco switches. Okay. So uh, first of all. Uh, all, uh, all switches use uh, layer two address. Okay, so layer two, we're talking about data link, uh, as we learned last week, uh, and the layer two addressing is essentially your your uh, your MAC addresses. Okay, so if you remember last week, we looked at the um, we talked about the the layer two Ethernet frame header, and in that that header uh, of that frame we would find the, the source and the destination MAC address. Okay, so a frame gets sent out, it's going to have the, the MAC address of the machine that, um, say, that I am I'm trying to reach. Uh, and it will also have the source MAC address of, of my machine. Okay. Now, the, the MAC address is it's a 48-bit number, 12-digit uh, hexadecimal. Uh, so I've got a sample one down there. Uh, and the... Uh, the first portion, the first uh, six digits, or the first 24 bits, uh, represents the what we call the OUI, the organizationally unique identifier. Okay, and so every manufacturer of networks is, is given an OUI by the IEEE, and and so they will use that that OUI as the the first 24 bits of every MAC address that they that they burn into their network devices. The last 24 bits are the the, the device identifier. <clears throat> okay, that's the uh, so every one of their uh, devices, every one of their NICs, every one of their switches, uh, Cisco, every one of their switch ports even uh, is going to have a uh, a different address. Okay. Uh, now, thankfully, there's you know the the number of uh, the, the the yeah I guess the the full number of of um, unique addresses is way beyond anything that we could ever comprehend when we're, when we're talking about a 48-bit number. Um, but the idea here, of course, is that every single MAC address on every network device in the world is supposedly uh, unique, it's supposed to be different. So, uh, so switches use these, these addresses to, to determine uh, where uh, frames are to, to go. Now, there's different types of addresses. You've got the um, Unicast address, okay, and that that just simply represents a single LAN interface, meaning that if I send a frame out of my computer to somebody, uh, I'm trying to reach a say a server, okay, and I machine uh, knows what that the MAC address is, the destination MAC address is for that server, well, it's going to send out a, a unicast frame, okay. The destination address is specified. Uh, there's broadcast addresses. Or a broadcast address. I mean, the address for broadcast is uh, is all Fs. Um, but what that is is uh, so that frame is sent to all devices within the broadcast domain. Okay, and um, and, and just real quick, so basically, a broadcast domain is a section of the network in which a broadcast address is sent to those devices. <laughs> so definition there but the uh, but that, that that's technically accurate it's uh, when we send out a broadcast that uh, that frame is going to go to all of the machines that are actively connected to that network within that broadcast domain okay so if we're talking about on a switch you've got 24 machines plugged into that switch asked uh, for my machine that broadcast is going to go to all 24 of those machines on that that switch uh, now, broadcast, you know, one, one uh, um, you know, common use case of broadcast is, say, okay, my machine, I'm, I'm trying to, to talk to a machine with IP address 10.0.0.1, and it looks in its ARP cache, okay, it needs, it, there's a, uh, a table within, you know, the, uh, on, on my system that has, you know, all of the, uh, the MAC addresses that it knows. 
and and it doesn't know what the who the or what the max is for the machine that is 10.0.0.1. It's going to send out a broadcast or an ARP request, and that broadcast is going to go to all the machines on that broadcast domain. And whoever has the that IP address will, will respond back and say, "Hey, that's me." And as the frame comes back through the switch to my machine, you know, my machine will then learn what the MAC address is. And then from that point on, any machine talks to that that server or that or 10.0.0.1, it will know its its uh, destination address. It can send out a unicast address. Okay. And then multicast addresses are just uh, uh, there's a special use cases. Um, uh, basically, um, it's it's a uh, you know, send frame, sending out frames, and and multiple machines will get that. Yeah, um, and that's dependent on say if there's a service or something that's running in which um, you know, all of those machines will be listening for uh, that particular multicast address. Okay. Um, I'll just leave it at that. We're, we're actually not going to dig into that um, at all in this, so we'll, we'll just move on. So, um, any questions at all? Uh, questions here. Clean and Twitter is clean. Nope, you're good. What was that? No, I said, I said no. We, we are we are good to proceed. We're, we're clean. Okay, excellent. Yes, sir. Okay, so as far as switches, okay, so there there's three primary functions of a switch. Uh, so, and we'll we'll look at each of these in depth. But uh, so forwarding and filtering um, uh, frames, and MAC addresses, and creating a loop-free network. Okay, uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'll I'll cover the uh, the here in the next few minutes. The uh, the loop. Uh, that's a whole uh, big topic unto its in, itself. That's when we'll talk about protocol. Um, and uh, we'll get into that uh, close to the end here, um, if we even get to that tonight. Because, um, and, and just just a heads up, we do have a lot of lot of information to cover tonight that we might have to push off to a uh, to another time. Um, but I'll, we'll we'll see how far we can get. As far as the let's see, the primary functions, so forwarding and filtering frames. Okay, so the the switch when a switch receives a it's going to inspect the uh, the destination address on that frame, and and it will compare that that address with its own uh, MAC address table. Okay, this is a this is a table within uh, the switch. Uh, it basically assigns or not assigns, but it uh, it, it will de uh, determine or, or learn um, which ports are associated with which MAC addresses. Okay, um, and actually, let me show you. I'm gonna uh, pull up a. Let's see. So I've got a connection here. I've um, got a connection into a this 5K uh, switch. Okay, and uh, and so I'll just show you the. Uh, uh, the address table, and just you can just see what what that looks like. So you'll see here that this is uh, th these are all the the different MAC addresses that uh, that this which has learned uh, now on this particular switch. Um, and it's uh, it currently we, we've got a port channel set up on it, and that looks like the only interface that uh, we're currently using um, to send uh, frames. But but all of these different MAC addresses have been learned on. Uh, this particular. So as as uh, packet or as I'm sorry, frames come in and and they have a address address, well, it knows to send it out this particular interface, this port channel. Uh, so so that is that's a this is a glimpse at the uh, the address table. Uh, so the, again, the address table is just going to list the location of where each of those MAC addresses uh, live. Uh, so the whole idea of forwarding and filtering is then, uh, so as as the addresses come in, it knows to send it out a specific interface, a specific port on that um, on that switch. Uh, the filtering aspect of it means that it's not going to send it out any other ports. 
Okay, and this this is a you know pretty big uh, deal with with switches in that um, this is how switches uh, are, are are so efficient and so fast uh, because they they are just going to send that frame out the very specific port that it needs to go unless it's a unless it's a broadcast or or flooding which we'll talk about in a moment um, and um, so yeah, there's there's no needless uh, filter no needless uh, sending it out like the hub does to all the other ports. Okay. Now, as far as the MAC address learning, uh, so I just showed you a, a uh, MAC address table on a real switch, and of it has uh, MAC addresses that have been learned. Okay. So a a switch will learn uh, the the MAC addresses that are connected or that are associated to each of the different ports as those frames as frames come in on those various ports okay so a frame comes in the uh, the switch will look at its at the source MAC address and say I'm connecting to another machine on my network I, I send a frame to the switch and the switch will will see my source MAC address my MAC address as the source address coming in on say port two that's the Say that's the port that I'm plugged into. So it'll add my MAC address then to that port, port two. So now when somebody else on the network is trying to reach me, then it knows that, and if it has a if a frame comes in with a destination address of my machine, it'll send it out port. Okay, it's fairly simple, um, but that's that's how the uh, that's how switch uh, learns uh, these MAC addresses. Now. Flooding is an interesting concept. So let's say that I have, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to reach a uh, another, <clears throat> say another uh, machine on the network, and uh, my machine knows what the MAC address is. So it sends a unicast frame to uh, to the switch, and the, let's say the switch doesn't have an entry then on its MAC cable for that, uh, that address. So what it needs to do then is the the switch then will actually flood that that frame out all the ports so that whoever owns that destination address then will respond. Okay, all the other all the other machines in the network that uh, that that frame uh, you know uh, gets to they're just going to drop that frame because they're not the owner of that that destination MAC address. But the owner of that will respond and uh, in in his response, he's going to send a reply through the switch. The switch will then see its frame, its responding frame come through, and its source address, or its address will be the source MAC address. So the frame will see that. It'll learn that uh, that MAC address. Uh, it'll learn its location, and it'll add that to the uh, to the MAC table. Okay. So, so that's that's all the flooding is. It's um, and there's a difference between flooding and, and broadcast. Uh, flooding is is completely initiated by the switch. Okay, it's again, if if the destination MAC address is is known by the by my machine, I mean, well, it, it's it, it's essentially it's going to be a unicast address, right? The the switch will will see that, but it just doesn't know. So it's going to initiate the uh, sending out all the ports. Broadcast, on the other hand, is when I don't know what the MAC address is for a machine that I'm trying to reach. So I will send that MAC address with all Fs, send that out, and when the when the uh, switch receives that, it's automatically just going to send that out to all all ports. Okay. So any any questions before we move into the next section? Nope, we are good to go. Good. Fantastic. Okay. Oh, actually, right. oh, hold on. So wait, here we get into. Hold on one second. Yep. Uh, and um, okay, Graham, Graham. Oh, yeah, it's a comment. And flooding restricted to switch broadcast to the collision domain. I'm sorry. Repeat that again. That, that was a comment from Graham. Uh, and flooding restricted to switch broadcast to the collision domain. Okay. Not, not a question. Just a comment. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sounds good. Fantastic. Cool. Alrighty, so let's 
go into, let's dive into the last section here, but this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Uh, so let's get into uh, VLANs. So VLANs are a, a um, big part of the layer two switching environment. Okay. So uh, first of all, remember <clears throat> that uh, so switches um, basically create one big broadcast domain. Okay, if we pull a switch out of a box, uh, by default, uh, it has you know one VLAN set up on it. It's probably VLAN one, and it creates one large broadcast domain. You plug uh, multiple machines; they're all going to be on the same VLAN. Uh, so a VLAN is uh, is essentially it's it's a, it's a virtual virtual LAN. Okay, and, and what we're doing is we're we're taking that uh, physical network, so the switch. And we're we're breaking that up. We're, we're uh, separating or segmenting that into these logical components. Okay, so it's uh, we're we're just basically setting up uh, these uh, you know again these these logical boundaries within that physical device. And in essence, we're then breaking up the broadcast domain. Okay, because each VLAN that is configured on that switch becomes its own separate broadcast domain. So if you see the picture there, I've got a couple machines in VLAN 10, a couple machines in VLAN 20, and uh, so anytime that, uh, say, if I've got multiple machines in VLAN 10 and, and a broadcast address is sent out, it's only going to be received by all the machines in that VLAN. The ones in VLAN 20 won't see anything at all. Okay, so so that that's you know that that's a um, uh, you know, one great use case of uh, of VLANs is it helps to uh, helps to control uh, the use of or the uh, you know the I guess the frequency of, of broadcast throughout the network. Uh, broadcasts are going to be isolated to uh, to its own VLANs, so so basically smaller sections of the network. Okay, and broadcasts they you know they there that that's activity on the wire, and so there's you know that's uh, when when there's a lot of broadcast activity. Then that that can certainly uh, uh, tie a bandwidth on on the uh, the network. So if we can isolate that to smaller sections, that's that's just going to be better for a network performance. Um, but VLANs are also used uh, for uh, security. Um, say if we need to logically segment uh, one portion of the network. Uh, say you've got a uh, uh, you know one section. Uh, you know maybe that's your your DMZ. Um, Say that this is your DMZ here, and this is your production network here, and uh, we would we would logically separate those. You know, probably put a firewall in between them, but that way that there's still a, a logical separation of, of those two environments. Okay, um, so security is a big uh, uh, big reason to use VLANs. Um, as far as management, uh, there's uh, you know oftentimes uh, there's there's a need to uh, to break out or break out the network into various work groups, or say if you want to dev production, um, then there's just some uh, more efficient, uh, uh, you know, management control when you when you're breaking out those uh, networks into different VLANs, um, and then troubleshooting if, if there's a if there's a problem in, in one section of the network, one VLAN, it's it's much easier to uh, to, to find that uh, find the, the the source of the problem. When you're just focusing on one particular VLAN. Uh, let's see now, let's go back to this. Um, well, first of all, why don't we just um, go through um, let's see, I'm going to pull up my let's do this. I'm going to pull up a, a different switch here. And um, so we just want to look at the uh, just a you know just a cool, real quick look at different VLANs on a machine. Uh, th this particular uh, switch already has some uh, some VLANs already configured on it, um, but we can always uh, we can create a VLAN. It's very easy to do with within a switch. Um, so if I just want to create VLAN 10. You know I'm, I'm in, already in a, the configuration so configure terminal. Um, uh, point within the switch, uh, and then I just do the, uh, the the command VLAN 10. That just created a VLAN. 
uh, and then I'm in the VLAN subcommand. Um, and if I just want to give it a name, we'll do, uh, let's do development. Okay. And then if we show VLANs again, we'll see that I've got my development VLAN. Okay. Um, so super simple to create VLANs. Uh, now, let's say we had our VLANs 10 and, and VLANs 20. Our VLANs 10 and 20. And we need those, those uh, machines and those two VLANs to be able to talk to each other. Okay. So let's move that out of the way. Let's pull this back up. So how do we forward data then between VLANs? Well, okay, we are going to uh, creep up into the layer three of the OSI, the network layer, because that's where we need to do what we call inter-VLAN routing. Okay, so we actually, it, that, that's, that's a, um, there's an actual routing function that has to take place in order to get the frames from, uh, you know, my VLAN to VLAN 20. Okay. So, in order to do that, there, there's, there's two ways we can go about that. One is we could actually pull in a router. Um, I don't have a picture here, but if you can imagine, say, a, a you know, nice little round router up here, right above the switch, and if the, we, we could have uh, one of its interfaces connected down to the switch uh, for VLAN 10, and then another interface that's on VLAN 20 also going up to the router, then the router can be used to simply route the, the packets from the subnet for VLAN 20 to the subnet for VLAN 10. Okay, and that's, you know, a nice, easy way to get uh, traffic from one VLAN to another. Now, challenges with that are that it becomes a, a, uh, a performance issue. I mean, we're, we're basically adding two additional hops to the, to, the, uh, to the network path in order to get traffic from one VLAN to another. So the way that we uh, that we decrease the, um, the the number of hops and, and potentially give us much better is by bringing that routing functionality into the switch. So we go back here, we look at this, and so if all of that's just taking place within the switch, okay, we're you know we're, we're removing the bottleneck of the, uh, the the additional network links, and so that traffic can go across uh, you know through that switch much faster. And so that switch can then basically do its, its layer three routing of, uh, you know, of, uh, frames from one VLAN to another. Okay. Um, so in order to do that, uh, let's go back to our, our switch over here. And <clears throat> so let's see. Um, just want to check. If Make sure one of the things about the uh, Nexus switches is the uh, th there are a lot of features that are disabled uh, right out of the box, and the idea is that uh, basically uh, if it's not needed, then don't you know there, there's no needed for, uh, there's no reason for it to uh, to be using up any of the additional uh, resources. Uh, so basically, disable as many services as you can until you need them. So the the um, the service that we're looking for is uh, interface VLAN right there, okay, and that is disabled right now. So in order for me to be able to set up what we call a switch virtual interface, and we need that in order to do inter-VLAN routing, I need to uh, I need to enable that particular feature, okay. So, and it's just it's very simple. It's uh, the feature um, command, and okay. Um, so feature interface dash VLAN, and then if we do a show feature again, I'm just going to take a look, just to make sure that that is uh, truly enabled, and it, it is. So at this point, I just want to make sure that my, this is, I'm on the right switch, I'm using, I was looking for VLAN 10, my development VLAN, so I'm going to do an interface VLAN 10 command. Now I'm in the interface sub subcommand for um, for that VLAN, and now I just need to give it an IP address, and I'm just going to give it uh, just a random uh, IP address, and um, and for the subnet mask we, we just use the CIDR notation, so I'm just going to give it a slash 24, just a normal 255, 255, 255, 0, 
a submit mask. And that is, uh, so I, I've created the, the interface uh, for the VLAN 10. I've given it the IP address. And um, I can even give it a, a quick description. Dev. Okay. Now, at this point, um, so if I show, um, um, if you look here, you'll see the VLAN 10 is still administratively down. Line protocol is down. Okay. So one additional step I need to put in there is the no shutdown command. And that basically that will enable that. Um, It's not the command. Ah, there's another command I remember that uh, would actually show. Uh, let's see. Oh, well. Anyhow, um, I'd have to go back and uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm still learning this stuff too, guys. So, um, but uh, but essentially, we we would be bringing that uh, that interface back up. And um, and so then if we've got, let's uh, say if I've got a, a VLAN 20 on that switch as well, I would create a, a SDI, a VLAN interface for VLAN 20. And then, then I'd be able to uh, basically route uh, data from one VLAN to the other. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So 802. From Q. All right. This is the this is the network standard that that supports VLANs. Okay. Um, it's the the default standard trunking protocol, and it looks like Chris, I think you got my. Machine. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was I was I was tracing the uh, disregard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I moved okay. off again. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, so the. Uh, so again, 802.1Q, the default standard trunking protocol. Okay, it's uh, it's it's the, uh, the the standard that basically it defines the VLAN headers, VLAN tags. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll look at native VLAN here in a moment, also. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, so 802.1Q is an IEEE standard. Uh, Cisco also has its alternative to 802.1Q. It's ISO. Um, and interestingly, so on the Cisco IOS uh, switches. Uh, when, when you create a trunk port, you have to set the encapsulation mode for uh, either ISL or 802.1Q. Okay, um, most often, most deployments I've ever seen, it uses the the .1Q encapsulation mode, which is 802.1Q. Uh, and uh, and because of that, it, even though that's that's the Cisco proprietary trunking protocol, uh, Nexus only provides support for 802.1Q, the IEEE standard. So interestingly, when when we create a trunk port on a on a, uh, a Nexus switch, uh, if, if you're familiar with uh, configuring that uh, you know trunk on a an I iOS switch, the uh, uh, you you always have to to set that encapsulation mode. Well, there's no command for that on the Nexus side. Uh, so anyway, just just an interesting thing there. But but 802.1Q uh, again, that um, that is the the standard that uh, that supports those VLANs, and this is how it does it. It's using a VLAN header, and that VLAN header becomes part of the frame, part of the Ethernet frame. Okay, and you see the the picture down below here. Um, so this is the uh, the frame header. You've got your your destination MAC address, your source MAC address, and then you've got your you know, the 802.1Q header, the VLAN header, and then some additional information here, and of course the data payload, and then the uh, uh, the, the correction, um, the, the, the control portion of the frame. But the 802.1Q header is that's where you will find the, the VLAN uh, number, the VLAN ID. Okay, and now that is a four-byte uh, field within the header. Uh, it is of that those four bytes, 12 bits of that represent the actual VLAN ID number. Okay, and you do the binary math, two to the 12th power gets you 4,096. So we can have up to 4,096 VLANs, or I guess technically 4,094, since uh, two of those numbers, zero and 4,095, are reserved. Okay, um, so uh, in in most 
environments, uh, unless you're a service provider, uh, you'll never get anywhere near uh, using up uh, those, those, that number of VLANs. But, but that is how uh, frames are tagged with a VLAN. So we talked about um, VLAN tagging. This is where it takes place. This is how it's, uh, um, how it's represented within the header of that frame. Okay. So as far as uh, the different modes um, within a, a switch, okay, so uh, typically we would be, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be using a, a VLAN tags one way or another, okay. In access mode, if we're, we're setting up a, a switch with a port in access mode, we're going to assign a VLAN to that switch port, okay. Um, so say the uh, the access port is uh, you know it's access uh, VLAN 10. Okay, so uh, and my machine's plugged into that, then my machine is is living on VLAN 10. Okay, um, access mode allows only uh, you know frames with you know, just one VLAN. So my machine then will, will send uh, frames to that switch uh, to that access port, and those frames coming from my machine are untagged. Okay, there's there's no VLAN tag on it, but once they get to the frame. VLAN tag is added, uh, and then depending on where it exits, uh, uh, you know, which port it goes out of on the other side, um, if it goes out another access uh, port, then the, the VLAN tag will be removed so that it goes back out on the wire as an untagged frame. Trunk load, on the other hand, can carry frames from multiple VLANs. Okay, you've got a single port on the switch. Uh, and we can we can configure that port to have uh, to, to carry traffic for any number of different uh, VLANs. We can do all VLANs if you want. Um, typically, you will you will set a a, a, a trunk port to very specific VLANs. Okay, that's really the you know best practice uh, when, when using a trunk port. Uh, you want to define what traffic can go across that that uh, switch port. So when when uh, if we have a, a trunk port set up and say uh, 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 let's say we're in a uh, a VMware environment host servers we we've got a host server that's got uh, uh, you know it's it's one of its physical nexus connected to the switch into a trunk port then from the the host server it will send uh, frames from that that host server to the switch. With VLAN tags, okay, it's actually going to come into the switch with a tag on it, because at that point the trunk will look, or the, the switch will look at that uh, that frame. It'll see the tag, and, and then it'll know which VLAN to, uh, to to pass that frame on to. Okay, um, and then so if we want to look at our switch again. So let's um, configure. <clears throat> okay, um, I'm actually just going to grab one of these random. Uh, um, I'll use about Ethernet one eight. So I'm going to I'm going to configure um, so port. Ethernet 1.8, and even though that that's, there's no SFP in that, that port, I'm still going to I can still configure the uh, that port to either be an access port or a trunk port. So in order for me to uh, configure that as a as an access port, I can just do access VLAN uh, 10. Okay. Now that uh, that particular port is now set up. Um, let's see. So that port is again. I've got it uh, configured as an access port. Uh, um, so allowing traffic uh, for VLAN 10. And um, just want to check one thing here. Okay. So 
we're looking at, uh, at some of the details of this particular port, you can see that the operational mode of this is an access port. Access mode VLAN is 10. Okay. So now let's say if we wanted to instead make this a, a trunk port. Okay. Uh, so first of all, I'm just going to remove the um, And then I'm just going to make it a uh, switch port. Uh, make that. So I just um, made that switch port a, a trunk port. And I'm going to allow VLAN allowed. Oops. So I just created the uh, configure that switchboard as a trunk port, and I'm allowing uh, VLAN 10 to go across that that trunk port. Okay. So if, then, if we again we look at the details of that, we'll see that it is a trunk port allowing uh, VLAN 10 to go across it. Okay. So let's say I I'm just going to create another VLAN and. Um, now let's say I want to add um, uh, VLAN 20 to that trunk port. Okay. So interface uh, Ethernet uh, 1.8. So I'm in the interface subcommand, and I'm going to just do the switch port uh, trunk allowed VLAN add. Yep, add 20. Okay, so now I'm just adding VLAN 20 to that trunk port. So then if we, again, check the details of that port, we'll see that I have VLAN 10 and 20 going across that trunk port. Okay, now. So in these details, you also see this thing here. It's trunking native mode VLAN. Okay, there's a, 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 a native VLAN one on this, this uh, trunk port. So uh, so the whole concept of a native VLAN is so you've got a trunk port. And now remember that trunk ports require uh, frames to come in with the VLAN tag in order to be able to pass them on to various VLANs. But what happens when a port or when a frame comes in and it does not have the native or it doesn't have a, a VLAN tag? Well, then it automatically is forwarded to the native VLAN. Okay, and essentially what this does is, um, so at that point, it just it, it becomes part of. In this case, the native VLAN is VLAN one. It becomes part of VLAN one, so it can then actually talk to any of the ports that are configured for VLAN one. Okay, now it, the the purpose of this is to, basically to provide some management functionality. Say if you're Plugging in, uh, if you're using Telnet to get to the switch, or, or using you know some means just to um, um, to connect to that switch, uh, uh, and and you, you don't have the, the means for creating a a uh, adding a VLAN tag. Okay, plug it in. Um, you're on VLAN one. You can do your you know your management um, actions, and it, it, it basically it's, it it provides that that mechanism. Um, to, to get around the, the requirement of having a VLAN tag. Now, this, you know, basically it it uh, it's, uh, it it can certainly become a a security hole for that switch. And so, really, a security best practice is to change that VLAN to one that's not being used by uh, any any uh, any active network device on that network. So basically, uh, you, you can't get rid of the native VLAN. Uh, it, you have to set up a, a uh, you know, uh, some native VLAN, but you can use it on one that's not actively being used. Okay, that way, you don't have some rogue device connecting to the network getting, uh, you know, onto that native VLAN and then being able to wreak havoc by, you know, connecting to other network devices that are on that that particular VLAN. Okay. So let's. Uh, Let's see. Um, 
Chris, we're getting close to the hour. Um, mm -hmm. Do we have questions at this point? Uh, we, we have a, a comment from from uh, Graham. He want, he made a comment about VLANs that uh, there are some res okay. uh, other reserved VLANs for Cisco environments for fiber channel, etc. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, good point. Yep. Um, other than that, let me check the uh, the tweet decks. And no, no, we are we are good. For, we are clean of questions, sir. Okay. All right. Um, so I tell you what, let's. Um, I I'm going to get through the trunking protocol. Won't take me a whole long uh, time to get through. Um, uh, but then there's a spanning tree. Spanning tree again. It's a whole it's, its own monster. So um, yeah. Um, so I'm not going to tie up everybody's time tonight by uh, going into that. But but let's let's get through uh, VTP. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, get the top. Okay. So VLAN trunking protocol. Okay. Essentially, what this is is uh, it's a um, it's just a it's a way of being able to make a change on one a VLAN change on one switch and have that propagate out to all other switches. So a good convenient way to distribute the the VLAN configuration. So let's say you've got uh, you know 20 switches in your environment uh, and you need to add a VLAN. You need to add it to all the uh, the switches. Uh, it, you can make that effectively make that uh, that change on the one switch, and then all the other switches will basically be updated with that change. Okay, so it's it's you know it's it's a great, very powerful uh, functionality, um, and uh, and it you know certainly time saving. It it, uh, it it can be potentially error preventing. So if you've got again, if you're making the say the if you need to make a one change on all of the all, all of the switches, well, the more switches you have to do, you know, the greater your chance of, of that fingering one of those um, one of those configurations. So it's a nice little way of automating that process uh, down the line. Um, now, of course, that also comes with its risks. If you make a an error on your configuration on one switch, well, that error can then get propagated throughout the rest of the, the network. If you accidentally delete a VLAN on one uh, switch, and that's a critical VLAN, well, then suddenly that VLAN is lost on all the other uh, switches as well. So you can, you know, take down portions of the network. So, uh, and I've also heard stories where somebody has pulled a uh, switch out from uh, the lab environment. It used to be on the production, and uh, and they plug it back into the production network, and and um, because of the way that uh, uh, VLAN or VTP works, and let's say it's uh, you know a lot of VLAN changes have been made on that switch, uh, that switch could have uh, could potentially uh, update all the other production switches on that network with its you know whatever uh, VLAN configuration it had uh, you know from the lab environment. Okay, so. Um, uh, hopefully that, that that wouldn't happen. I, I've heard though of that uh, of real occurrences of that. So anyway, just to, have you really? Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've um, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I can't remember who it was in one of their training videos that mentioned uh, uh, that occurring. But in any case, yeah. So it's uh, it, it's something that that uh, you know needs to be used with great caution. Uh, the SOS. Uh, it is it's disabled by default, um, but the way that it works. So let, let's get into the basics here. It's, uh, so all of these switches in the, uh, the VTP domain. Okay, the domain VTP domain is uh, essentially all of the uh, the switches that are participating in this um, uh, uh, you know, VTP. Uh, so they all need to have the same VTP domain. Uh, a password needs to be set up. Okay, so then, and, and so all of the, the switches in that domain have the same password. And then each one of those uh, the switches needs to be uh, configured as either a server or a client. Okay, so the difference there, if it's in a server mode, then you can create and modify VLANs all day, um, and then those will then get propagated out to the clients and other servers. Uh, if it's in a client mode, you cannot make any changes to the VLAN. Uh, they are only there to receive updates from other servers. Okay, so 
a big distinction there. Um, I mean, servers can update from other servers. Uh, you can make changes on a server. Client will receive all the updates from any other server, any other client, and, and um, you just can't make any changes there. Um, now, the way that it goes about updating, so if any little change is made to a VLAN, uh, that that entire VLAN database is then the you know the configuration information of that entire VLAN database is then sent out to uh, to all of the other switches in that ETP domain, and they use a, a revision number. Okay, so it's every change that's made on a VTP server, it increments the revision by one, and then it sends out the update in the entire VLAN database sent out to all the other switches, and the goal then is to, for all the switches on a VTP domain to have the same version number of that VLAN database. So it's, um, again, a fairly powerful process. Um, and here I'll show you on uh, my switch here. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure if I set a VTP on this one yet or not. Um, okay, so you can see here that VTP is disabled. So in order to uh, enable that, I'm just going to do a feature VTP. So it's now Get it's now enabled. And so then to set up, actually, let, let's just take a look at TV uh, status. So on this machine, or on this uh, particular switch, you can see that these are the default settings. Uh, operating mode by default, it, uh, when you turn on VTP, it's, it automatically is set in server mode. Uh, we can change that to client. Um, and let's see the domain name. Uh, we would need to manually set that. Uh, there's some other things here. A VTP version, we can actually change that to two. Uh, the difference is um, there, there, there's some uh, some differences. Uh, right off the top of my head, I'm, I, I'm not sure the, um, the exact differences, but um, but we can always change that from version one to version two. Uh, and then, so to set the uh, let's just say we're going to set the um, the domain to production, spell it, and then and then I'm just going to set the password, and and you'll see it's in, uh, clear text there. That's great. And so let's just do show. Okay. So again, pretty easy. I just set the the domain to production, um, and and then if we just wanted to change this, let's say we've, we've got, we already have another uh, VTP server on the network, and I just want to make this a VTP client, then we can just do VTP, I think it's mode, yep, client, and we've just made this a client. So if we go back to the status, you'll see that we're now in client mode. So I will not be able to make any, let's see, let's see if we can add a, nope. So I just tried to add a VLAN. I'm in uh, VTP client mode, and it says that I cannot add that VLAN because it's not allowed when I am in VTP client mode. So, um, okay. So a couple more things about uh, VTP. There are some alternate modes. Okay, so there's VTP transparent mode, and what that does is basically if let's say we've we've got five five switches on the network, uh, one of them uh, is in between a couple other switches that um, that I want to have participating in VTP. Uh, that particular switch and and here Alex, I'm going to show you a picture here. Let's say that here's my switch. I've got uh, a couple others here that I want to make sure are participating in, in VTP. So any change made to this VTP server, I want to make sure that VTP client down here gets those changes. But this one here, I want this to be independent for whatever reason. Uh, you know, I can I can make changes on that. 
I don't want this one to be updated by um, by the, the changes on this switch. So I can put this switch into VPP transparent mode. It will still send my VPP updates through it, but it will not actively change or get updated by the rest of the switches in this domain. Okay. Um, so, uh, it, so again, this, this one stays pretty independent. Um, I could also leave a switch out of the, the VPP domain. So this one, this one's not even, uh, um, it's basically, uh, it's, it's VPP uh, is functionality is turned off. So it's not going to get any of the changes from the rest of these uh, VPP uh, switches. Okay. So again, this one, I'll be able to make changes all day on this. It will have no impact on these other guys. And even over here for the VPP transparent, I can make uh, changes on this one, and it will have no impact on the other, on the clients. Okay. And all right. So the last section is scanning tree protocol. And because that's probably take a whole other hour to go through all the rules and <laughs> all the, the fun stuff with that, I'm going to spare you guys that tonight. Yeah, what we'll do is uh, we'll we'll um, we'll glom the two together. We'll 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 finish the rest of the recording offline at a later date, and then um, merge the two into one section two video for the website. Um, cool. Uh, Graham had a yeah, couple of uh, comments about about VTPs. Um, yes. The uh, so, uh, support the same VTP version, otherwise the higher number of VLANs will propagate. And uh, VTP supports yep. VLANs over 1001 and PVLANs. That's right. Yep. Good Wanted to make sure that got said. <laughs> yep. Cool. Okay. So I'm gonna. I'm ready. I'm gonna kill. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Graham said VTP3 does. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> we're we're all, all right. learning Let's tonight. Also. <laughs> Absolutely. This is good stuff. Cool. Okay. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, stop the recording now.